snapshots in the Gospel of Matthew. But I am remiss this morning if I don't start with a happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers who are out there. Um, Mothers are hugely important in our lives. Some people uh, uh, have had the blessing of being a mother. Other people have not had that blessing. And uh, if you've not, uh, some for some this day is not as fun and rejoicing as it is for others. Uh, some people had great moms. Some people had so-so moms. Some people had moms they'd sooner forget. And I understand this day uh, may not be the greatest thing in the world there. But I will tell you that uh, uh, in God's idyllic world, uh, mothers play a very important role. Uh, God could have just put Jesus here, and he could have just one day appeared as a full-grown fella. God had no trouble putting Adam here without a mom. But God chose to bring Jesus through uh, uh, the the the... the the womb of, of a woman, and, and it's, it's an important part. Now, there are some theological reasons, I think, why, that part of what made Jesus fully human. But it's, it's still, it's notable. And we who grew up in a Protestant tradition often run so far from not wanting to ever worship Mary that we forget to pay honor and homage, as the scripture says we should, not to the point of worship, but to the point of saying, um, blessed are you among women. Uh, through you, God has done great things. And, and it's a, a wonderful day to celebrate maternal love wherever we land on that coin. So I wish you a happy Mother's Day. What I thought in terms of Mother's Day and maybe application is, in our house, mom was responsible for teaching us manners. Um, I'm not saying dad didn't. There were certain manners dad taught us. Dad taught us that you were supposed to open the door for a lady. Uh, I, I, I spend a lot of time in the north. In fact, I'll be in trial starting uh, next week in Cleveland for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I, I will be back next Sunday, God willing, so uh, uh, I look forward to seeing you here. But I'll be up there for a couple of weeks, and whenever I'm up there, uh, I have a tendency, if there are lawyers going in the courthouse door to, uh, who are women, or not lawyers, just women, I open the door and let them go in. And some of them get very offended. And they say, well, I can open the door for you. I said, yes, you can. But I'm from the South, and my mom's still alive, so I'm opening the door for you. <laughs> just, just a way to pay honor, um, not a way to say anything other than elevation. But manners, I thought, why don't we look at how Jesus taught us manners this morning? So this morning, I've gone to Matthew to look at manners. And so I'm going to call this Lessons and Instructions from the Sermon on the Mount. Now you will notice in the PowerPoint today, I am trying and experimenting with some new things. I'm trying to kick up my game a few notches. So for example, come on now, look at this. That's pretty cool. That took some work, okay? I'm just saying, that took some work. When I'm talking about work, Let's see if this worked, because I did this too. You ready? Oh, not bad, huh? Okay, so we got three building blocks to the class this week. Building block number one is the instruction. What is it Jesus told us to do? Building block number two, what are the applications? How do we apply those instructions? Building block number three, what are our points to take home? So let's look at manners in the gospel from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to start out with the instruction. Here it is. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Now this is an 
a big statement by Jesus. Um, when he says beware, um, beware is a verb pros echo in the Greek, and, and, and beware is, is this idea of be alert, be careful, be on your guard. And Jesus does it in the present tense because this is a continual thing. Now, we say beware or be careful when there's danger. And the danger is always present. There is always a tendency with human beings to practice their righteousness because someone is looking. It's, it's, it's an interesting world that I live in in the legal marketplace because there are a number of lawyers whose language and behavior changes when they're around me because I'm the preacher. And so when they're around me, they clean up their language, they clean up their behavior, and some do it out of wanting to show respect to me, and I think that's fine, that's the, and I appreciate the kindness. But I, some do it because they want me to think that I am, uh, uh, that they are different than they are. And I'm just, you know, I, I urge, I say, be you. I want you to be the best you, but you be you. God sees, God's the one we care about, not me. There's just this inherent tendency among all of us to put on airs, to, to, to try to seem better than we are. And so Jesus says in the present tense, be careful about this. Be alert to this. Be on your guard. This is something that's constantly going to creep into your life. This Danger, is Will something... Danger, no Will Robinson. Danger. Yeah, this is something that's dangerous. <laughs> I can, yeah. I threw that in there for Dale Hernan. He's not even here. Um, uh, this is something that, that we, we need to be careful of. This is danger. So Paul says, beware. It's a constant theme here. Beware. Now, what do you beware of? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, if you were reading this in the Greek, you would see a different word order. And it's a jolting word order. Beware, be careful, be on alert of righteousness of yours. Of your righteousness. Dikaiosune has two groups of meanings at the time. One is a courtroom meaning, like not guilty. The other is an ethical meaning of a religious and ethical lifestyle. And that's the meaning that Matthew's using here. But to tell people to be careful of their righteousness in itself is like, but, but aren't we supposed to be righteous? But he says, be alert, be careful of your righteousness. And then he says that you're doing, poeo, to do. Be careful of the righteousness that you're doing if it's to be seen by other people, if the theater of it is involved, if you're doing this for other people to see, then you need to be careful. Now, there's a setup here of the way Jesus is teaching and Matthew's recorded it, and you're going to see it over and over. So I've got post-it notes that I want you to put in your brain. The first post-it note is how... And the second post-it note is why. The how. Beware, be careful of practicing your righteousness before other people. That's the manner. If you're practicing your righteousness because you're in front of other people, that's just not what God wants for you. God does... Oh, look... 
Um, JT, my son-in-law, is right over here. JT, stand up with that bundle of joy you've got right there. This is our grandson, John Henry. Yeah. So JT and I um, were on child duty yesterday. It was me and JT with two-year-old John Henry, two-year-old Francis, five-year-old Eva, 11-month-old Abigail, and 11-month-old Lydia. Me and JT. Coach, it's called zone defense. We had no man-to-man left. And we were doing everything we could to keep those kids alive until their moms got back. Now, we weren't too worried about the long-term repercussions. We just needed them alive till mom came back. So we would pace things. At what point is it okay to overload them with sugar? Because we can endure them till mom gets back. And so at that point, we pulled out these ice cream cones that are in the freezer part. They've got the cone, they've got the vanilla ice cream, and they have chocolate dip. I happen to love a good chocolate dip cone. But the shell is so thin. It's deceptive chocolate. It's not like a piece of fudge. It's like just enough to make you want a piece of fudge. It's real thin. God doesn't want you to be a thin person. God doesn't want you to be just a veneer. God doesn't, you know, think about wood. You can buy wood furniture that's solid wood, or you can buy wood furniture that's a veneer over particle board. And the veneer looks okay unless you chip it, and then you see the particle board. If it's real furniture that's made out of real wood, you chip it, you still see the wood. And, and God doesn't want us to be a veneer, to be a thin shell. God wants us to be genuine and authentic from inside. And so if, if you're living a veneer Christianity, that's where you tend to live for show. That's where you tend to have this religious persona. But it doesn't come from deep within your soul in a way that's transforming you and making you all the way through. And in that event, your life, your Christian life's going to be cheap particle board furniture. And, and it will have its time and its place. But it's not of lasting value. And it's not a deeply life transform. It, it robs you of the joy that you can truly have. It robs you of the, the sustaining strength that you're going to need. Uh, a former member of our class, Dr. Mark Barhorse, passed away uh, last week and had his funeral yesterday. And uh, uh, it was an amazing uh, uh, opportunity for everybody to proclaim faith. But I was talking to Jeff Shreve about it. Jeff preached the funeral. And Jeff says, you know, uh, Mark was an interesting fellow because he, he always was kind of involved and sort of interested. But he said it wasn't until a couple of years ago that he just said, this is something that's got to come deep within me. And he just jumped in. And, and I don't want us to live our lives as a veneer. I, I want us to, to find that greater depth. And in part, it comes from, from exactly what we're talking about now. And so the how, you don't practice your righteousness before other people and know it would be seen by them. And then the why he gives. Then you'll have your reward. If you do it to be seen by other people, you got your reward. You wanted to be seen by them, you got seen by them. Have a good day. Mission accomplished. But don't think you're pleasing God with that. 
Because you were doing that for other people, not for God. And so beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. That's not how we do it. The why is we don't do it to be seen by them. If you think you're practicing your faith to be seen by them, boom, okay. You did it. You got seen by them. You're done. Have a good day. But you don't have the reward from your Father who's in heaven. Now, reward. There's a whole theology that's built on the idea that when we die, God gives us in our next life, in our, in our, in our eternal existence, I should say. We've started that next life now. That God gives us rewards based upon how pious and good we were here. And I've got a lot of dear friends who believe that. And my view on that is, I don't have a clue, but I don't care. I'm going to be more than, than happy to spend my eternity with God. That's not my reason for being righteous. My reason for being righteous is, God wants me to. And God says, it'll make the best me in this life. And I can best pursue his will in this life. Uh, I'm finishing up another devotional book that should be going to Baylor tomorrow. And one of the devotionals I wrote yesterday, I, I remembered back to the Billy Joel song, Only the Good Die Young. And he's got this song, uh, uh, and it's got a real catchy melody, and it's got real deplorable lyrics. And he says, you know, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than die with the saints. Sinners are much more fun. And I, I thought, I've seen the fun of sin. I'm a lawyer. I've seen the fun of sin when people get drunk and drive through red lights and kill somebody. Oh, it was so much fun for them to get drunk. And then they get to spend time in jail. I've seen the fun of sin when people get so caught up in drugs and so caught up in, in um, living a life for the moment and the pleasure with no regard to what it's doing to their body. I've seen the sins of infidelity and sexual promiscuity and oh, aren't they fun? until I've seen the way that they've destroyed families and destroyed people. But I've also seen the joy of redemption and the life that God offers. I've seen the life that can set alcohol-dependent addicts free, rejoicing in serving Jesus, bringing up their daughters in outstanding ways, and doing amazing things for their sons and their spouses. I've seen people who have been affected by sin. Whether it's someone who's lost a loved one in a drunk accident. I've seen that. Or someone who's been touched by sexual infidelity. I've seen that and immorality. Who have learned through forgiveness how to heal in ways that are inspiring. But all of that, it comes from the righteousness of Christ. And so I just don't want us to miss this instruction. Now Jesus gives the instruction, and then he starts giving examples of this instruction. And so let's take the instruction, and let's look at the applications that he gives because he gives he, he he sets out this general rule it's like this here's the rule beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them and then he starts giving examples and the first example he has for us is in giving so you look at the example of giving he says thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you now there's an interesting subtlety in the Greek when you're reading this. The, the first, if we go back, let's go back to this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. 
that instruction of beware, he's talking in the plural. He's talking to all of us. But then he goes singular on us because he's giving us specific examples. And these are personal examples. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. So, when you Give to the needy. Don't sound the trumpet. Just think about it for a moment. I'm sure everybody in here, and I'm sure everybody watching, has given to people in need before. I don't think I've ever met anybody who hadn't given to people in need before. I mean, there's something hardwired into our soul to try to help people. But when we give, how do we do it? I mean, I am about to give. Let the record reflect. There is a person in need. And I will give, because I am a generous giving person. I mean, now maybe we're not quite that bold, and Jesus is, I mean, this is the picture Jesus was drawing, okay? And I think that people probably chuckled when he gave it, because they're not literally, let me help you. Instead, they're quietly giving is the right thing to do. But, but without literal trumpets, Jesus is still talking about people who say, you know, hey, Mel, I just want you to know, buddy, uh, I, saw, I saw somebody in need, and I want you to pray for him. I'm going to give him something, but I, I want you to pray for him. I mean, what? Come on, we like to be seen doing good things. We might even play games in our head and think, well, this is a good witness. They need to know that, uh, you know, you need to be giving people. And that's just not why you give. So here we've got the how, and we've got the why. So when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. That's the how. Don't do that. They're doing that. See, he's examining manner and motive. The manner, don't do it to be seen, or don't do it in a visible way. The motive, to be seen and praised by others. That's the wrong manner. That's the wrong motive. And if you do that, you've already got your reward. But when you give to the needy, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the correct how. When you give to the needy, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Keep it secret even to yourself. Just let the bare minimum know. I mean, sometimes you need someone else involved because they need to be involved. They're critical to it. You can't give to the needy without using a hand. But keep it to the minimum. This is Jesus teaching us manners of righteousness. So the the proper manner is don't let anybody know that doesn't need to know. And the why is this is so your giving would be in secret. 
Now, this is an interesting passage. Um, let me go back for a moment. This whole concept of your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret kaiho pater su ho blepon in to crypto 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 it's weird what is this father who sees in secret hmm there's a level of weirdness there in in the father who sees in secret and i thought i had it down here ah okay it's coming up you're going to have to apply it backwards okay just remember i'll remind you i'll say oh and this applied to that other thing but right now we're going to keep moving that was example one giving let's go to example two jesus gives praying and again this is another example of beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them example number two in praying when you pray don't be like the hypocrites Again, hypocrites, the words used in the Old Testament in some ways, but the root of the idea um, is still one of something for show. The original Greek word was in a theater setting, but the Jews weren't really big on theater. They thought that was kind of sinful. So Matthew may not be using it in that sense, but the readers would certainly have it in their brain. The idea of just don't be there doing it for show. The hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Now, let's talk about Jewish prayer at the time of Jesus. Jews were, practicing Jews, would pray three times a day. Um, we see a reference to Daniel doing that in Daniel 6.10, but it's it, and it wasn't at set times. It was kind of in the morning, afternoon, and evening. And you didn't have to, you can go back and, and read the rabbinic commentaries, and they were like, it's not, you know, a, a set time. But they would pray three times a day. And the early Christian church was taught to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And so it was a, a typical habit. And when they would pray, it would usually be standing. There were times when they would kneel. There were times when they would fall flat, prostrate on the ground. Prostate is the organ. Prostrate on the ground. Let's get that right. There are times where they would fall prostrate on the ground. But it was usually standing. And you will see Jesus explaining these manners in a really cool parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. One of my favorite of Jesus' parables. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's his parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a spit, spit, tax collector. Bad, bad, sinful dude. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. See, that's a posture of standing in prayer. And here's his prayer. God. I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you, God, that I don't extort people. Thank you, God, that I'm not unjust. Thank you, God, that I'm not an adulterer. <laughs> and thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you, God, that I fast twice a week, that I give tithes of all I get. Have a good day. And off he goes. And I'm sure most of the time, a lot of the prayers were out loud. So he's probably not just standing there praying in the temple, but he's doing it out loud. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, he doesn't get to the inner place. My inner place, that's a bad expression for the temple. He doesn't come in as close. That's a better way to say it. Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, righteous, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's, um, that's, that's pretty profound. That's practicing your piety to be seen by others or out of arrogance to the Lord versus the other. So standing. Um, it's usually standing, not always standing. Uh, so Jesus continues. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they can be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. That's how. Don't do it like the hypocrites where you're doing it. Why? To be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. That's how you do it. You go to a private, quiet place where nobody else is. And you say your prayers. And that's what you do. You pray in secret. That the, the why your father will see you. Now this is the interesting passage that I was going to talk about earlier. Your father who is in secret... What is that? Patri su to in to crypto. Your father who's in secret. And your father sees in secret. That's kind of weird, isn't it? So cryptos, the word that's secret here, means a, a hidden entity. A, a, a secret. It's got a wide semantic range, but but... It's the idea of something that you can't see, that's not so readily discerned. And that's who God is. God is someone who, who you don't visibly see. He's hidden, in a sense. He's invisible. He's present, but he's not made of matter so that the light rays will reflect off of it and absorb some, and we can physically see him. God is not made of, of matter in that sense. So you don't see him. Now, that's got to be part of what's being said here. But that expression of seeing in secret is also used in Romans 2.29, and it makes me think that it was probably some type of an expression, an idiom, if you will, that was, was used at the time. It's what Paul uses in Romans 2.29 when he writes of, A Jew, well, let's start with verse 28. No one who's a Jew, no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is uh, one inwardly, in secret. It's using the same expression. So it's not just talking about God and, and seeing in secret in the sense that he's invisible. But it's also a reference to an, an inner righteousness. And God's ultimately righteous. And God sees our righteousness. This is manners. This is righteousness. This is how we should behave. Your father who's in secret sees you in secret. And so the how to this is... You go into your room, you shut the door, and you pray to your father who's in secret because he's going to see it in secret. He's invisible. He's righteous. He's tuned in to what you're doing. Now, that's not the only instruction for prayer here. We've got example 2.1, praying part 2. Jesus says the following, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think that God's going to make his decision based on word count. 
Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask. So pray like this. Here's your how. You don't heap up empty phrases. Why? Because they think they're going to be heard for their many words. God is not interested in word count. He's not interested in a flower prayer. I'm not saying he doesn't appreciate well-crafted prayers. I think he does. I think it shows our creativity and our deliberative thought. And I think there's value in that. God made us creative and he likes us to, to, to give creative thought. And I'm all for a carefully constructed, well-thought-out prayer. I think it's fantastic. Uh, there are prayer books with these prayers in them. I think that's wonderful. But there's a line that's crossed, Jesus says, and here are your manners. You don't want to cross that line into just doing it because you think God needs all the extra words. You know, then the Lord's Prayer is given. This is where Jesus gives it. And one of the bizarre things about the Lord's Prayer is how concise it is. It's not real wordy. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now you can expand on it. You can expand the glories of God, and that's a wonderful thing to do. But Jesus is teaching here that we, we're not doing it because we think that God's impressed with showy words. That's not what prayer is. And so it's very succinct. It's very careful. It's very clear. And that's what he wants us to do. So that was example two. This is example three, and I just didn't label it right on the finger. I'm sorry about that. But example number three is fasting. Now, we're not that big on fasting. I remember when I was young. I was probably in high school, maybe I was in college, when I read Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. And it talked about the disciplines in the Christian life. And, it, and it, it was one of the main books I could find at the Bailey Bookstore in Lubbock, Texas on 50th Street <laughs> um, on fasting. Because I didn't understand why we didn't fast. I mean, good Jews in the days of Jesus would fast twice a week. And I know Jesus said when he was asked, why aren't your followers fasting? He says, because we're having the wedding party right now. I'm here. But when I'm gone, they'll be fasting. I'm thinking, well, not me. Quickest way to get hurt is get between me and a good burrito. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that in tune to fasting. So I thought, I need to read about this. I need to get up on this. I need to figure this stuff out. And so I, I read that book, and I want to tell you that it transformed my view of this, but it didn't. Be careful there. I want to tell you that it transformed my view of this, but it didn't. I read the book and I didn't have much better hold on things than I did before. And so I've struggled with this, I guess, for 40 plus years trying to figure it out. And I've gone through spells where I've tried to fast. Now, by the way, if you want to fast for a day, do it the Hebrew way. Okay? Jews, the day started at sunset. And it ended at sunset, and that's a day. And so you eat right before sunset, eat an early dinner, then you're fasting breakfast and lunch, and then you eat a late dinner the next day. You hit your 24 hours, and you didn't miss two dinners. Now, that's not the right attitude for fasting, but that's what it became for me. I'm being honest with you here. Then I'm thinking, what am I doing this for anyway? God knows what I need. I don't get it because I earn it. And I started learning a little more that fasting is something that captures your attention. Because if I go two to three hours without eating, I'm hungry. And I think about food all the time. And what's more, I don't just think about food, I dream about food. At night, 
I have dreamed of food. Some people have evidently the most lurid dreams in technicolor and all of this stuff. I don't dream in technicolor. I dream in food. I can smell it. I can taste it. I have awakened before guilty over how many donuts I ate in my sleep. (laughs) True story. So with food, we're driven to thinking about it all the time. And one of the things that fasting seems to do is I think, oh, I'm hungry. And then I think, oh yeah, I'm not eating because I want to concentrate on God. And so that hunger drives me to concentrate on God and not get so caught up in my day that God is playing left field in Little League when nobody hits it to left field. And I'll tell you something else. I also found that I eat sometimes out of boredom. I'm kind of bored. I think I'll have uh, something to eat. And if I'm kind of bored and I'm not eating because I'm fasting and I'm fasting because I'm trying to, to draw closer to the heart of God... Then all of a sudden in that boredom, it's kind of like, you know, I ought to be praying about some stuff. I ought to be reading about something. I need to be in dialogue with the Father. And so fasting has, uh, I, I haven't arrived on this point yet, but I can tell you certain things I know because of the manners of Jesus as he taught them. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. I love this in the Greek. Whoops, here it is. They disfigure. Afanidzo is, is, um, Come, it's the Greek letter ah, which means not. And then phanizo comes from phanos, which is here in a noun form. Uh, well, not noun, it's still a verb, but it's maybe seen by others. It's the same word with a a in front. So they make their face not a real face. So that their face that's not to be seen as a real face will be seen by others. It's like this twisted little pun. That's funny. But it's like, are you okay? I'm I'm fasting. You are? You got to understand I do this for the Lord. Would you like something to eat? Oh, I would love something to eat, but I'm fasting. It's killing me. Really? When was your last meal? It's been an hour. (laughs) How? (laughs) I mean, truly, I'm starving now, and I have not eaten since 8.30. How? Don't laugh. Some of you are hungry, and I saw you eating donuts. How? Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces so that they can be seen by others. It's the same thing. They're living their righteousness to be seen by others. And, and, and that's not what you want. You, when you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face. So your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is invisible and, and who is righteous. And that's who's going to reward you. And I'll tell you, I think, and I'm again, I'm not into discussing whether or not there's rewards after this life on earth and the next earth and all. Great, wonderful. I'll be thankful to God for anything I get. But I will tell you, he changes who you are here, right now. When you practice your righteousness before him, he's going to transform you. He's going to take you from a stubby little 
something and build a little stubby little weed into a great towering oak with roots that go deep, that can withstand the storms of life. The hurricane can come and will devastate, but not the oak. You're the Psalm 1 person planted by the rivers of life, the waters of life, that bears its fruit in its season, whose leaf never withers. That's what happens. And that's what we want. That's the why. So with that in mind, what are our points for home on this fine Mother's Day? Uh Uh-oh. PowerPoint issue. Hold on. Don't peek. No peeking. No peeking. Uh, Selection frame. Show all. Go back. There. There. Sorry. Points for home. (laughs) This is called doing your PowerPoint while you and your son-in-law are taking care of five kids. (laughs) First of all, I want to be right in the way I give. Um, Not just in the way I give um, money, but in the way I give time, in the way I give emotional investment, in the way I give attention. I, I, I want to be right. That means the manner in which I do it needs to be the proper manner. I don't need to do it for show. I, I, I just, I want to do it out of character. And that ties in closely to the motive. Why do I do it? I do it because it's righteous to do it before God. I do it because I want God to be working in my life here. I want to be right in the way I give. I want to be right in the way I pray. I don't want to say prayers for the benefit of the listener. I want to say prayers in dialogue with my Father. Jesus is not saying it's not right to pray corporately. It is. But even in corporate prayer, we're not praying for for the other person to hear us. At the end of class, I will bless you with a prayer. But my prayer to you is not so that you hear it and think, isn't Mark nice for the way he blesses us in prayer? Or how eloquent was that blessing in prayer? Heavens, no. I'm just beseeching God Almighty to bless you because Jesus says that we're to come together and agree in prayer. And we want, I want the blessing of God to pour out from the top of your head, the very, very top. Most of you have hair. Right up on the top of that hair, all the way down to the sole of your feet. That's how we want the blessing of God poured on you. That's what we're about. We're not about how we look. So when I say pray right, the how and the why, the manner in which I pray needs to be in righteousness before God. And the why is because God... Is, told, is calling us, asking us, telling us to set our request before him. God could run this world like a machine if he wanted to. But that's not what he's decided to do. He set this world up and given us an immense responsibility to help orchestrate the machinery to make the world work. That's why it's ridiculous to see someone in need, like James says, and say, I will pray for you, I'm sorry you're in need, and not help them. If we're the hands and feet of God, we need to be the hands and feet of God. We have a role to play, but that role begins with prayer. But it's not simply God, help the needy. It's, God, please show us how we can be your tools to help the needy. How we can be your tools. 
instill in us a deep righteousness that shouts out that we have better manner and better motive in how we live. I want to be different than I was this morning. I want to be different tomorrow than I am today. Kevin Parker, my best friend in high school, used to come up to me constantly and say, I can't wait till tomorrow. And I learned to quit asking about it. But everybody else would always say, why? And he'd say, because I get better looking every day. (laughs) I want to say a little differently. I can't wait till tomorrow. Why? Because God is making me more righteous every day. And it needs to be what God is doing with us. So I want to give right. I want to pray right. I want to mind my manners. And I want to fast right. That means I'm not telling anybody about it. And that means I'm doing it for the right reasons. Whatever those might be. So those are your manners this Mother's Day that we get from the Gospel of Matthew. I've got to decide this week uh, whether we're going to stay in Matthew right now or whether we're going to shift to Luke. I think we're probably going to shift to Luke. We've got some stories to talk about in Luke. So uh, assuming we're shifting to Luke... We're going to be looking at things like the prodigal son and some of my other favorite stories that we find uniquely in Luke. But for now, let's seek God's blessing. So Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Teacher, our Lord, we ask you to bless all of us hearing this message, hearing this teaching of Jesus. Father, draw us into a walk with you that's not a veneer, that's not a thin shell. Deep within our soul, Father, cry out and grow us into vessels of genuine righteousness. And may we use that type of life to influence others to minister to others, to serve others with what we say, with what we do, and with how we do it. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Mother's Day again. See you guys next Sunday.